What did you say your name was? Asked Stern. Cello replied, Cello? The detective asked, Are you the detective, Cello? Cello said, I'm Detective Cello. Stern replied, I don't think I have anything to learn from you. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Additionally, joining us as a guest this week is... Steve. Thanks for joining us. Steve has joined us for The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain, Chinatown, and Forrest Gump. Steve still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Right, Tom? We'll see. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to the theaters in 1981, we would have had to choose between Escape from New York, Blowout, An American Werewolf in London, and today's movie, Prince of the City. I will be the questionnaire today, and I will let you know what Prince of the City is all about. Prince of the City is a roughly 48-hour-long cop drama in which an adoidinal Treat Williams playing Danny Ciello is feeling super guilty about taking money from drug dealers and occasionally beating them up. And so he goes to a group of prosecuting attorneys to kind of uh, turn state's evidence against different people who are corrupt but not against his friends but as the plot progresses and as mr williams gets more and more nasal in his performance we see that the powers that be are turning him against his partners the people he initially swore never to touch nick if you had only one word to describe prince of the city what would it be flip him steve Great. KJ. Italian? And my word would be methody. It's time for question one. You guys are going to hate me for this, and I will love it all the more. I'm going to ask you to name the members of the squad. (laughs) Now, you could say first name, last name, but the person who gets the most wins. And as long as you get something, first name or last name. You said a number. Did you say how many people are in the squad? I'm pretty sure you just- I I will tell you, yes. The the amount of people on their squad is five. Oh, I thought it was four. Darn it. Well, yeah, it's six. It's the the special investigative unit, Mm -hmm. SIU, so. Oh, I know who the fifth is. 
Uh, audience, you should see the perplexed expressions on the face of Steve and my fellow co-hosts. It's delicious. It's a, it's a wonderful confusion I get to witness here playing God for their points. Locked in? Locked in. Oh, no. Locked in. All right, Nick, what do you have? Okay. Um, one I'm pretty sure of because I always thought of marinara sauce and it was marinaro. Um, Gus, Danny. I feel like there was a Davy and a the Freddy. I'm not sure about that. Might be a guess. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, that's that's my that's my uh, grouping. Yeah, don't worry, Nick. My, mine is basically a list of names like that too that I just thought. Was <laughs> All right, Steve. What do you have? I have Cello, Gus, a piece's first and last name, and the last two I think I remember. One is Mayo, and I'm hoping Mayo doesn't go with Gus because I can't remember, and Bando because I thought his name was Bondo. You know the things that you fix old cars with, and I don't know if that's uh, right. Did you mention five, Steve? I only have four here. I only heard. Oh two. no, those are the only four I remember. Okay. Oh. You'll remember that playing trivia with me is like playing strip poker with an exhibitionist. It's <laughs> I don't have any short-term memory, so it's, it's fair it enough. Doesn't work anyway. Those are uh, four that I can remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Steve refuses to tease us. That's 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 what you need yes. to know. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, KJ, what do you have? So I had the prince, the prince of the city, right? Danny. Okay. Uh, Gus, because we mentioned him last week during the first impressions. Uh, Morgan, D'Angelo, and Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So actually, Steve gets this one. He actually had f he, all four of those were, were hits. So the members of the, uh, the squad, and that squad is the Special Investigative Unit, are... Danny, Danny Cielo, Gus Levy, Bill Mayo, um, Joe Marinaro, that Nick got, and then Don Bagno. So? Don Bando. Don Bagno. B-A-N-D-O. Oh, I have a B-A-G-N-O. Did you get that, Nick? You got that. Look, no, I didn't get it, but I was no. looking at IMDb. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I went by what they were it sounded like how but could when, I forget Marinaro. Marinaro that was the one yeah. that jumped out <laughs> yeah. yeah might as well call him Marinaro hey Jimmy uh, how Spaghetti did I and that? Meatballs over hey, here and no. uh, yeah. Joey Marinaro <laughs> so I'm going to give the point to, to Steve here and I brought this up to um, talk about one of these kind of central themes of the movie which is clubs I think this movie I, I have a lot of problems with this movie, but putting those aside, this is a movie about groups or clubs or gangs. Um, and to say that the cops are another gang is maybe a bit too dismissive of the cops. Uh, Lumet does a lot of work to try and balance out the, the good and the bad. But I want to talk about this group and the idea of groups generally as they're depicted in this film. What about families though, right? Because when you say the cops yeah. were a family mm -hmm. and the mobsters were a family, the ones who actually seemed the most backstabbing conniving were actually the attorneys and the government. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're. I mean, that's the that's the whole. F There's an odd kind of um, nihilism in the movie, I think, where you can't have a code of honor to do the right thing, a code of honor to uphold the law, and a code of honor to stick to your partners. Right? These three things just will never work together, and yet you have to take all three of those codes. So there's sort of an impossible trap in the movie. Yeah, and I think I think the clubs. The, the idea of the clubs really comes in uh, and it it takes forever to get there but about 70 or 80 percent of the way through when the nth um cop is brought in to to be you know talked to he lays out very crisply that the system does not allow for some things they want to do like arresting all these guys without doing it in his view the way they are doing it. In other words, everyone, it was kind of known they're doing this. They're looking the other way as long as they're arresting all these guys. So there, I think that's part of that shows that the clubs are not completely mutually exclusive. There's some crossover there. And that that's where that idea of clubs, along with, I wanted to add, it's like the wives were a club. While the mob is not overtly covered, they are obviously a tangential club, as are informants are this club, this whole class of people. And I think they um I think that that's a very good point on how on what how that showed that. Yeah. So when they're in Danny's backyard, I guess, is that mostly the partners? Were those the cousins? I think one of the things that's those are the partners. Are. Yeah, that's that's, that's SIU. That's the squad. Okay, but then mm -hmm. his dad was there and his brother was there sometimes too. Right? Yeah, I think it was just their house. house. Yeah, right? it was their house. Okay, yeah, I kept getting confused. That's sort of another club. There's the police, like his father, and the other police that know this stuff goes on. A little bit of denial and a little bit of I don't do that, but I know they do that. And that's the difference of the prince of the city and the rest of the police of the city. I think his father's part of another club. You know, when they look at each other and he doesn't really want to address it with his son, but he knows, you know. And the brother who, who's in trouble and shows up, that was a great when he comes in and busts up the party. And he basically lays it all out and says, you think we know, think that your little police salary pays for this jewelry and everything mm -hmm. else you have mm -hmm. and he's jealous and everything else so yeah yeah so the other thing that confused me were the intertitles they oh i to, i agree <laughs> <laughs> right they would cut to a, a a picture of i'm assuming it was a cop and not a uh suspect they were cops or lawyers yeah cops, was, okay they like were their like IDs. ids some information about them i i never knew who it was i'll be honest audience i i mm -hmm. couldn't keep track and then a quote by them <laughs> like a little bit of inspiration or, or, or by danny like a lot of the quotes <laughs> were like just like the, nobody loves you but your partners which maybe even have been his wife i like i found those i agree i found those those way of dividing up the time using quotations to be somewhat perplexing I didn't find the quotations to be that profound or relevant <laughs> or important. That was my, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, it was like they were going to come up to him. He's going to go in wired to get a, a recording at a restaurant. And the, in my mind, the quote was like pastrami so much better than roast beef. Like, <laughs> well, okay, that might be true, but I, the quote didn't, 
it's not like in the scene later you're like oh that's what that quote was really profound and it, yeah yeah, yeah the, I, i'm not sure anything. about the title you, card you remember thing. that quote the quote when he goes into the restaurant before is it's a game and i love it <laughs> which <laughs> like which is doesn't really yeah he's a bit of a risk taker that's not really the the theme but that's not that like we get we don't need a quote to tell us that I, it was yeah. really weird yeah um I, I mentioned last week about Tony Danza and I, I everything I've seen Tony Danza and I've loved. So I just want to be clear. But when I saw those quotes, I pictured <laughs> Tony Danza. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad episode of that. I don't know. I haven't seen it all. But the uh, I always pictured those quotes as spoken by Tony Danza whenever they came up on the screen. Nobody loves you, but your partners. <laughs> it's time for question two. This one is going to make you pull your hair out. What is the name of the commission investigating police corruption? Locked in. Somehow I know this one. Hmm. T- Tom, is this the like the agency or like they had a team name or they there was something called the commission, the X commission. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I, I think that is fair to qualify since there are you know, 47 teams of lawyers doing various <laughs> things, um, generally indistinguishable. I am locked in, by the way. Locked in. All right, KJ, I'm sorry, man, but what do you have? All right, so in this movie, it was the Prince of the City, who was Danny and some of his buddies. You had the king at some point. I don't, that was another thing that was a little tricky to follow, but um, maybe these were the, the Aces Commission. All right, Steve, what do you have? <laughs> I thought it was a name, and I couldn't remember the name, and I thought it started with an L. So my guess is the Lipschitz committee. <laughs> That's a, a a farcical answer, but I'm I'm sticking to it, even though I know it's wrong. All right, Nick was very excited about this. What is it, Nick? None other than the Chase Commission. That's right. It's the Chase Commission. Thank you, Nick. All Excellent. right. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. So I brought this forward to talk about the the nature of the investigation and how the movie depicts why Danny comes to it, right? You know, we have the um, what I find to be an incredibly, incredibly bad scene where Danny at least first addresses the two lawyers and gives what apparently is an all-night monologue, which I, I think is a verisimilitude for what it feels like to watch this film about, you know, like why um, why the whole system is corrupt and we're all guilty and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but what did you guys think of Danny as investigating these people and the really the central conflict overall? So the, the first act is him coming to the realization that he might not be doing cool stuff. The second act was him wearing the wire, which reminded me a lot of Breaking Bad. Um, I know, Tom, during the first impressions, you'd said the whole movie wasn't about this. But I think the second act was about um, how much he loved the danger and the risk. Right? He was addicted to it like uh, Walter White um, was in Breaking Bad. And I thought they showed that in a fun way. I thought it escalated and there was a lot of, uh, you know, funny, like... I had him in my balls or what you know, whatever he said, like that kind of stuff. Like it that was a the wire. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You wanna that. check them? Yeah. Actually they were there. <laughs> right, that's yeah. Well, I agree with you. There was a certain point where it was almost like a game to him. 
after he got over the first thing, like, okay, I need absolution. I'm going to go through this process. It's going to be challenging. Then it was just straight up a game and almost like no consequences. He was having fun. He was on a, on a, on a different kind of high, a rush. Then the people who were his allies got promoted and it became very real very quickly, especially when he had to start going through the, the trial or whatever the heck it was. The game changed. The Going up to that point, fun. Now it's life-changing, serious consequences, family members being killed. You know, there, there was a lot going on at that point. I will say this, this was my principal problem with the script is that I actually, while I was watching the movie, once he's in and he's cooperating with them, saying, I'm going to cooperate with you, but I'm never going to say anything against my partners or everything. From there on, it proceeds in a way that's logical. I had a, I actually had to go back and rewatch. Why did he originally go in? I get it that he had that, that bad, you know, uh, uh, experience with those informants, but I had trouble and I'll bet if I read the book, it would make more sense. But I had trouble with that pivot from that was really shitty. I shouldn't have done that. Okay. He could have fixed that with 50 bucks. Okay. And a, and a car ride to a rehab center or leaving them alone. I really had trouble with the, I need to clear my conscience by going and cooperating with a, like, even to the point where I'm like, how did he wind up in, I know that they were just randomly asking and like, cause the actor actually says, oh, we don't have anything specific on you. We're just bringing you in. I, I really found it hard to pivot from that to him saying, well, guess what? Yes, now I'm going to bear my soul. Now, this is based on a true story. And the true person who this was based on outed and got 50 plus people in that unit convicted of doing wrong things. So uh, what I'm saying is I think the real world story probably made a little more sense. I didn't think even as bad as those scenes were with those informants and him running through the rain and all that other stuff, it didn't seem bad enough that he would all of a sudden feel like he had to confess and I, I i struggled with that um a little bit um so it's funny that you mentioned that tom because that is what i i i actually struggled with it enough to rewind the film and go back to that to look for that and it, it was a little bit weak yeah i'm going to go back to the concept of family i believe the first major domino to fall was when his brother called him out and then the father said he's not wrong we're, we're all not dumb. We see what's going on. And the fact that he had lost the respect of his father, you could see it hurt him. So Steve, I believe that's the first major indication. And then after that, I, I think there's the scene with the, the druggies and all of that. I, I believe that's the order. That makes a lot of sense now that you say that, number one. And number two, there's that great little bit at the end where the prosecutor says, don't you know that's why people confess because you want to, all of you want to confess. That, and that was a very powerful line. It comes <laughs> two and three quarter hours later, but it, <laughs> th 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 that you know relates to your point that in the end, they all really, yeah, have that thought. So that's a very good point. 
there's also further validation to the family dynamic. Unfortunately, when the uncle is killed because he vouched for him and all this other stuff, yes, he meets his father at the door of the funeral parlor and he can't go in because the uncle's family doesn't want him. But the father embraces him and says, I know you're trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I struggled with that scene and him showing Why? up. Why, because he came with the drink in his hand? Why would he even <laughs> not be allowed to go within a mile of that place? Or the, the, the guy who committed, his partner who committed suicide because of him, and he shows up on the scene like, I'm just coming for my partner, when everyone there knows that's why he killed himself. That was, you know, now I always joke that I also believe that people in outer space can have swords made out of light. So, okay, we can have a suspension of belief. That's what movies are about. But that stretched it for me a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes like that. And I, I Steve, I, I agree with you. The seeking redemption thing did seem to fall out of nowhere. I mean, they do a little bit of work where he punches Sancho in the face and he really didn't mean to, to lose control or whatnot. It seems hard to imagine this was the, the first time that such a thing has has transpired uh it's also like later in the movie you see that he's wearing a cross so there's this whole redemption thing which is you know is about as interesting as carpet samples i think uh, but I, it, yeah i, I you know I, I found that hard and it's also there is this kind of bizarre sense of space um like you were saying steve where he just shows up on the scene or he shows up at his his uncle's funeral or he shows up at um when the uh when when bill mayo commits suicide and he's just kind of on the street uh, another confusing one was he has to run away from his security team to see gus but two seconds later he's just talking to gus and <laughs> you know apparently he, he didn't have to sprint away from anyone two scenes later I, I guess they got over it so there there is this really kind of odd sense of plotting or or place that really just makes the movie i think feel it's two hours 50 minutes all right here we are at the end of round one and we have a tie an exciting tie between steve and nick with one point and kj is just behind with with zero points so it is really anybody's game in round two Hello, and, and welcome, welcome back to B-Side. B B Finally, it is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams, Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo, and today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guest a key question, Steve. If you could write your own sequel for Prince of the City, what would it be? I think if I could write my own sequel following really what we see in, in, in real life, it would be 
a movie that opens up with all of the success that the prosecutors and the government, despite letting the protagonist go, they've they've cleaned everything up and then it comes back in a different form. And there's corruption not only in the police, but there is corruption in the prosecutor's office and maybe even swing it that there's more corruption in the legal and enforcement things than there is in the police. Um, and to, for lack of a better phrase, you know, say that things continue to be hopeless just in a different way. I think that's what I would do. And the sequel would have, you know, it, there'd be some similarities, but there'd be some differences just modernizing everything. But the same themes would um, would be there. Most importantly, what would the runtime be on this movie? <laughs> I could tell you exactly. It would be one hour and 50 minutes. Oh, that's actually reasonable. Yes. I thought you were going to go like four and a half hours. No, no. Uh, someone who uh, develops theater sciatica for movies that are that long. I am now we'll keep it short <laughs> to the point and the title cards will have uh, uh, no clever sayings on them. Well, these title cards didn't have clever <laughs> sayings either. So. Maybe we could just borrow them from clerks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lord, I it, can the sequel just be Law and Order, the television show? Gus gets so out and, and he starts <laughs> investigating murders. That's, well, that's that was kind of what I said last week. I felt like it was just a cop show that they just crammed all together. Yeah, there's these like acts though that we're supposed to take seriously, right? Like the the where all the friends leave, all the lawyers who he's friends with leave, and like the um the the district attorneys of the world start taking over you know the the um oh god what's his name the balabans of the world take over and, and start to go for him yeah that's season two yeah yeah <laughs> fair <laughs> yeah. enough that's svu I, I i'm also all for dramatic lighting until it goes a little over the top and that last meeting with all the prosecutors oh i know when the head lawyer says well what do you think mm. I, I was dying to go I'd like to know why the lights are off in this office. <laughs> why are we sitting in the dark? It's yeah, it's because we were supposed to believe that these law that like what with like fifteen lawyers working for the state of New York in some capacity, just spent all day from morning to dusk like in this Socratic debate about Danny's uh, guilt or innocence, as if this is how things work in in lawyer world or they didn't or have email world. tom they didn't have email <laughs> oh yeah but yes that, that's what they do they sit around and they gaze at the ceiling and they think to themselves is this per is this morally good or morally right I, audience um, i wish you could see this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i i wonder you know as opposed to like tom's pulling out all the acting chops yeah I, yes yeah it yes. was i hated that so <laughs> to be or not I, to yeah, be yeah <laughs> i i agree with you steve that was that rang so false to me that um you know that more and there, there was uh actually some of the complaints from the real um folks were about treating them too roughly and making people like um the guy near the end who's supposed to be giuliani too sympathetically mm -hmm. that was actually part of the thing but i would i would agree with that it was pretty dramatic it's time for question three while undercover danny is given away by what locked in 
undercover like wearing the wire i feel like i cheat a lot in this show <laughs> no. yeah, you ask questions to the questions yeah it's when he's fair, under- this one is tricky because there was a few times where mm-hmm. he's undercover his okay. cover is blown okay. what completely blown or just partially blown now i'm pulling the kj his cover is completely blown i i'm still locked in kj did you lock in no i'm still going through all the times he was undercover i'm also wondering how strict we are being with that word but oh if if you have a creative answer that might get you points oh i always have a creative answer or if you have the right answer that could get you points (laughs) well if you have the right answer but i didn't think of it right if i miss something of course that'll get you points i'm locked in i'm locked in is it only once no nick was saying it might be more than once his cover gets blown hmm if you can name something, that'd be, that'd be okay. Cool. Okay, locked in, locked in. <laughs> All right, KJ, what do you have? Uh, Danny's charm. Okay, well, that's that's not right. But Steve, what do you got? I gave a phone number or something to the guys, and it was on a piece of paper that had the DA's name on it or the lawyer's, the prosecutor's name on it. Okay, and Nick, what do you have? So the first time where it might have been blown is there was a rumor that the cop's name began with the d and that one guy was really upset about it and they wanted to see if they could clip him but unless they knew for sure he was a rat they can't clip him but the real time that it was completely blown is it got leaked to the newspaper oh okay so i'm going to say his what first blows Danny's that that Danny's going undercover is the note it's the letterhead from um the district attorney yeah that's what it is wait when, when was that in the restaurant um he gives him the tapes from the lawyer the crook the corrupt lawyer who sounds like Michael Bloomberg, <laughs> which Blomberg, Blomberg, but it sounds Blomberg. like Bloomberg. It sounds like Bloomberg. I'm like, ah, oh, what you 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 have touched upon my fantasy movie. But anyway, um, there is uh, when he gives him the tapes, he gives him a note, right, with the tapes, and the note, unfortunately, it was written upon uh, by accident or or by uh, he's he overlooks it, the letterhead of the district attorney. That's when the guy grabs him by the tie and is like, you're going to drive with me. So I remember that scene. It felt like a, a movie mistake. Like the guys making the movie realized they shouldn't have used that note. And then the actors were like, well, what do we do? Well, I guess we just got to play it as if like it does. Yeah, I missed that. I, I, don't, I, I thought it was very abrupt too. And I KJ, I that is the funniest it. answer I have ever heard. You know, it was, it was, you know, it was just David Powell just wanted to, just wanted to hit Alec Guinness with the lightsaber and it <laughs> went its own way. I may have right. looked away for like a brief second when they flashed that note because I didn't understand why things escalated so quickly. Yeah, because he points, first of all, you have a scene before that, right before he goes that the camera zooms in on the letter or the note rather. And you see from the office of, and then in that sloppy, it was just a, it was just a mistake he made. And the guy grabs him. That's when he takes him into the bathroom, makes him take his pants off. And he's like, okay, you're going to put your pants on. We're going to get out of here. Yes. I I remember the whole scene. Yeah. That's what gives his cover away. All right. So um, we've covered this a little bit. Um, Oh, the guy was uh, D Benedito, by the way, who's a, um, a kind of 
mobster type working with the cop. The husky um, fella. The husky fella. Yeah. Um, no, not that other husky fellow. That husky. Yeah, yeah. He gets. He's a rather disagreeable person. Um, and I want to talk about. I brought this question forward to talk about the various types of characters that Danny sees as deserving of going down, right? So we really have two kind of phases to the movie. We have Danny seeking redemption by going after uh, people that the Chase Commission would be interested in. Um, people like um, Eicherman and Di Benedito. And then there's the second phase, which is when Danny's put in a position to, to go after his partners. And I wanted to talk about the distinction between those two phases in the movie and what you guys thought. The clear distinction was the initial two guys he was working with got promoted and they weren't the key points of contact anymore. And that's when everything changed dramatically. He lost all his allies and he's like, these people aren't my friends. In fact, he's right. He's absolutely right. They're out to get anyone, including him. I'm, I'm still picturing George Lucas just like, oh, that's a great idea, guys. Let's have a fight with these lightsabers. Like, that's, I wish I thought. My that. apologies. Very <laughs> relevant to the topic. Yeah, they Thank were, you they for were, your call. They were just using, they were using them as bug zappers <laughs> up to that <laughs> point. Like and, that. And, <laughs> and they decided, whoa, oh, what if yeah. they fight? What a great idea. <laughs> that's why it was so well choreographed, KJ. <laughs> Uh, but going back to Tom's question, um, but so do you also think there was a the first act there, Tom, or do you think that was more of a prologue, the build up to when he starts wearing the wire? Was it a three act, or do you think it was just two phases? I wouldn't know. It's a three act. Yeah, I think it's a I three do. act film. Okay. Like what I meant, um, the the two phases being the two phases of the investigation into corruption. Right. There's an initial phase, which is the Chase Commission. And there's the phase after that, which is sparked by the French connection thievery. Can you say that again for when he just said? Uh, there's the initial phase, which is the Chase Commission, and there's the second phase, which is sparked by the French connection thievery. So to again compare this to Breaking Bad, which also kind of has this Walter White uh, climbs the risk ladder, and then eventually when things go sour, you know, he's separated from his family. Um, like, like things are bad. I think Danny Cello had a better time of it than Walter White, but it was still, it was, it was rough, but he was kind of comfortable the whole time. If that makes sense. The, the movie, Not really. They yeah. just kind of hid the risk. The mobsters had a hit out on him. So he had to watch his back there. The people he's aligning with can, will turn on him at a moment's notice. His family, which is not really shown much in this film, is living in their cabin and then under witness protection. So they just don't shine a light on it as much, but their life is all screwed up. Yeah, and a, a lot of the movie is dedicated to this guy dealing with an incredible amount of tension. I mean, I think part of the problem with the movie is, is Treat Williams sort of um, he's he's working so hard in those scenes that they kind of come off as phony. So my word, my word was um, methody. It it looks like a parody of a method acting class. Some of the scenes he's in, uh, um, but I I think a lot of it is like the stress of having to, um, the stress of having to deal with this, uh, you know, to deal with this problem. And really, the stress comes in worst 
once those lawyers who are his initial team get promoted and he's kind of thrown to the wolves and bob balaban is sort of the, the main wolf boy he is bob balaban something else that cold I mean, he's not physically imposing right but he's played a number of roles where he just has that that stone face that cold face and i think it added a lot of dramatic tension the truth is people like that on very high profile cases very rarely would be taken off those cases even with a promotion unless they were going far away like they were going to dc instead of staying in new york um but i think when they went from the one set and they got promoted and going to the others it added tension because he kind of in his own mind danny's like yet yeah, these guys are prosecutors, but I formed this personal relationship with them and they care about me. And the more that team expanded, the more people came, you know, like that scene where um, they said, well, why don't, would you be willing to do, take a, a lie detector test? And he like, like, it's like he almost realizes, whoa, 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 this is nowhere like when I started, when I first came in here, this is going in a completely different direction. And then, you realize that uh, it's not just about the specific things he wanted to talk about anymore. Now it was going to be about everything because they know, the prosecutors know that those tentacles, it might not be him specifically, but somewhere in that group is the people involved with the French Connection stuff and all that other. So I think that along with, I'm not going to say anything about my partners, but then him winding up having to do it, this is as he, as he comes apart. This is the scene where, He's sitting, bouncing his legs. I mean, that was pretty, you know, over the top. And he's got the one, the part that got me was this scene. This is so 70s, too. And I even, you know, it, it, you know, you get the pill bottle. And you, uh, you know, you put the pills <laughs> I mean, that was very. And, and the, that's one of those things sometimes like you don't need to say, she says, you don't need to take that many. All right. Well, yeah, we got that. I mean, you don't have to say that. <laughs> but, you know, you, but also his hair, right? That you know, perfect, you know, hairdo of his is coming apart. And he's all of a sudden, instead of being sharply dressed, he's in like a flannel and like sweats and white socks. And he doesn't look too impressive <laughs> anymore. So, um, but I think that comes back to that transition, almost a continuum or the first and second, you know, first and second act changeover. Um, that's what facilitated that. Oh, right. Here we are at our last question. Steve is in the lead with three. Nick's right behind with one. KJ's right behind with zero. Um, so you want to make this question worth three points so KJ can jump in the game? I, to be honest, guys, we can do it, but I'm not sure it's going to make a difference. So, <laughs> so this question's worth three points. So let's say if... Nick gets it, then Nick wins. Steve gets it, Steve, obviously. That's why I like it. Three points. And if KJ gets it, we have bonus questions. All right, gentlemen. Buckle your seatbelts, and here we go. It's time for question four. How much money did the squad split with the Bogota drug bust? Locked in? Sounds like one of our Jurassic Park questions. Locked in? Okay, do you want a number? Yeah. <laughs> that a no, it is, there's an answer. You'll, when I give my answer, like I'm sure there's a reason. You, I'm sure there's a reason you asked that. That's not why KJ would have asked that question, but it's something. 
I was looking for a number. How much? Since it's how much money? Uh, I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could answer it in weight, but typically dollar amount would be helpful. I thought. Uh, okay. Well, this uh, clearly isn't. I was going to answer it in a fraction. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying or no, Tom? Well, they do split it five ways, but I was looking for the total amount of money that was split five ways. Oh, okay. I'll explain that my thought. Okay. I I think I know what you're saying. Yeah, we'll see. And and Steve, uh, for the Treasure this year, Madre episode, it came down to the units on one of these types of questions. It was, really? Uh, yeah. It was. It was very pesos versus for... dollars. <laughs> the fact that it came down to metrology, it just it, it, it just is just gleefully <laughs> wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, so I only got KJ locked in. I'm locked in. Oh, I'm sorry. So I know the around amount. Is it is it prices right rules? Um, if nobody gets it, we'll go with prices right. Rules. Okay, I'm gonna lock in. All right, Nick, what do you have? The reason I was being a pain qualifying this question is they find a sum of money and they keep half of it and turn over the other half. So they split that half. So that clearly wasn't the answer, but that's why I was asking. The sum was something like 90 something thousand dollars. So I'm going to say they split $45,000. All right, Steve, you're up next. What do you have? I, I actually knew that's why Nick was asking that way because I was wondering. I thought they split $200,000. But I think that's high. But that's my guess. All right. And KJ, what do you have? I had 48K. That number stuck in my head for some reason. Oh, Lord, you're not going to believe this. It's actually 46, so Nick wins. Oh, wow. Oh, way to go, Nick. No, I actually, go, Nick. I actually put that into perspective because I knew it was 90-something. Mm -hmm. So I said if I do not half of 90, maybe I got a shot. Well, I couldn't remember if it was 93,000, 92,000. That's really good. something like that. By the way, my... Ooh would be six and a half trillion dollars in today's with with inflation <laughs> clearly incorrect i just want to make that clear i knew it was in the 90s i couldn't remember the exact number so i played it safe all right so, yeah clear winner clear winner clear winner yeah nick uh nick for for three um so i brought this question forward to talk about the end here the collapse of the partnership um my favorite part of the movie which is jerry orbach who the skill and performance uh, difference between Treat Williams and Jerry Orbach is like stunning, right? You see like Treat Williams is like throwing himself back and forth and Jerry Orbach has this kind of like cool, um, cool collected way in which he plays objectives, you know? Um, I loved his scenes on, on screen. I love, I absolutely love watching him. Yeah. He, he um, really was if, if you have, uh, it's, it's, Literally my favorite Woody Allen movie. If you ever see Crimes and Misdemeanors, mm -hmm. Jerry Arbach is like one of the best parts of that entire movie. And he plays the same kind of quiet, criminally able person. That's I, that's his thing. That's his mm -hmm. persona. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, he's a song and dance man. Came up with the Fantastics as a... Uh... As did treat, yeah, he was a song and dance man. He was uh, in the Fantastics, which was a very long running Broadway show that made his career. Um, true of Treat Williams too, actually. Treat Williams was a song and dance man who came up in the early 70s with Greece. He played Danny in, in Greece. Um, 
So I'll bet that bad mobster guy, that big guy, he wasn't a song and dance man. I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> the ballet. Well, I was making a poor joke, but he just, oh, I, don't know I see. That that guy, I don't think he was Ron, ever, like, on his feet. Ron Carabas, um, Cabasos. <laughs> yeah, he was. You no, know, he's from New Jersey. He's from uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, it's time for movie rent. Yeah, I I have to say that like the moral ambiguity of this, it's it's so cheap. Um, you know what I mean? Like you're used to sort of. So if we compare this to an earlier movie of Sidney Lumet, I don't know. Has how many people have seen Serpico? I know Steve, you said I it. haven't. I ha- it's on my list. Yeah. yeah. So Serpico is much. It's a much better movie. Maybe the same director with Al Pacino as the lead, and it's the same concept. It's a cop who is informant for the, these corrupt cops. Um, this is an early 70s movie. It's not a particularly complex movie, but it's a lot more fun. Um, and however, it's also very morally certain. The cops are are black as night. Serpico is, is the good hero. Nothing's wrong with him. Um, he's kind of a weirdo, but he's he's the good guy. There's nothing morally ambiguous about it. And Lumet, in approaching this film, wanted to add moral ambiguity. He wanted to make the cops um, good guys. And I think the good, good guys and bad guys, that it isn't binary, really. The evidence of this, I think, is best in the Alvarez scene, when they bring in Alvarez, one of the cops, who says, like, I never, the only way to stop a dealer is to take his money. You know, we take his money. It's the only way yeah. to stop a dealer. So a there's point. this idea of like, yeah, we're corrupt, but it's to an end. And we only took money from people who weren't going to prison anyway, right? We never took money from people who who were going to jail because there is still a sort of honor there. And it's also like, I'm sorry, you got to give drugs to dealers who are informing. You have to. That's the streets. That's the system. I don't care if it's illegal. The thing doesn't work if you don't do that. He was also saying, Tom, that if you let them keep their money, they'll buy themselves out yeah. of going it, to jail. It's yeah. the lifeline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the corruption actually has, uh, in a sort of maybe self-justifying way, a moral character to it, a sort of maybe we might call socially munificent character. Um, however, I really found the sort of quote-unquote grittiness of this movie to, uh, to i didn't really buy it right I, steve would beg to differ uh, yeah Grit was I, the word yeah um i mean it, oh it's it is the word it is painted upon the faces of these characters and upon um the setting and whatnot and their clothes and the street and the dirty offices and all that other stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I, I, I think part of it is that um, part of it is we get this, like these bizarre scenes where somebody comes up and says moral ambiguity. They, you know, they don't exactly do that, but the lawyer scene at the end is one example where we get the subtext articulated in a, you know, sort of Socratic dialogue. It's, it's utterly infuriating and and difficult to watch. Um, Serpico's a simpler movie, but I think a better movie because it doesn't make those mistakes. There was, if I could add, a, a, uh, it was generally well reviewed the movie, but a a movie reviewer James Walcott dissented, saying, and I, this is right up your alley, Tom, concluding that the film is quote 
wearing its liberal pieties like a crown of thorns. I think that's that's a great quote because mm-hmm. it, it does after a while is it is it do you go over is it too much and how do you tune in that complexity because you're you're right he specifically wanted to be less two-dimensional than it was in Serpico but Serpico made it a little easier in that way there's good guys and bad guys and the bad cops and who's on the take and who's not on the take but you know it can be it can be too much so audience the, the reason this movie was selected was because it was part of the New York Times 1000 movie list. I'm not even sure if they qualify what movies these are. I don't know if they're best. Must or... watch, must see. Must, yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean the best, but there's a reason you should watch them. Well, and so why why do why do you guys think this made the list? Uh, the, the the academy and therefore people who make lists like this really love Lumet. Um he he's somebody who's i think he's had a very uneven career but it's almost like every great movie he makes is balanced by network or or, or something you know some kind of crappy film um and i think that that this is a lumet film that is kind of grand and of its time I, you know, um, this is also a transitional film from the 70s with that, that sort of Italian-American um, energy that was coming up through the 1970s in Hollywood into the 1980s, where we really saw a, a, a sort of ending of that particular type of feature in favor of really what you saw as kind of the more blockbuster style thing. So this movie is also existing in an important and somewhat unfortunate transitional period. So I would guess those are the reasons. It also has what I think poor film critics refer to as an operatic quality. Um, I I imagine those film critics never watch opera because I I find it kind of just an infuriating description because, uh, you know, it just basically means it's long and large. And this movie is large and it's dealing with themes in bold and underlined there are themes this is a serious picture you know that that type of thing and i think people who make lists that honor you know the best 234 movies you need to see before you you know retire or whatever it is um really like this idea of import right this is something of import i do see trends where they do take a collection of specific directors, I guess, either most impactful or with air quotes, best films. So the fact that Lumet has many other works that are also on this list, I'm, I'm sure I actually don't have the list in front of me right now, but I'm, I'm positive Serpico's on that list. I think that's why this was included yeah. to kind of give you a collection. I, I think it's, a, it's also not, not just for the director, but for a genre. For the for the mob cop movies, this is going to be good enough, and it was well thought of enough to be collected. Like I happen to be scanning some of the um, of the movies on that list. Like Donnie Brasco is on this list, and Donnie Brasco is a, a a good movie. It's got its cheesiness of the time, but it's it. The, the point I'm making: there are these different time periods. So these these movies with the mob and the police in New York. Same thing with a bunch of LA movies that are like that they sort of have a genre of the well thought of ones and they grab ones from the sixties, from the seventies, from the eighties, Donnie Brasco was from the nineties. So that's included with things like Goodfellas and, and casino and things like that. 
And so I, I have a feeling that's the why, um, you know, it's included on a big list like that. And not to mention, a thousand movies is a lot of movies. I always joke about that. It is a lot. <laughs> I don't know it's if we really realize that, like, because I, I was joking with someone and they said something to me that made a lot of sense. Did you realize that's, that's 10 100 movie lists? That, that's a lot of movies. And it's <laughs> yeah. capturing different genres, including things you really wouldn't be interested in seeing and other things as well that you do. I believe it's up to 2018 is the specific volume. Oh, okay. Okay. Still a lot of movies. There is in list making and, and in canon making, because a list is a canon, right? A preference for the kind of auteur theory of filmmaking and preference for authors. I think this is a 20th, obviously the, the auteur theory is a mid 20th century concept. And we cast it back not only onto films, but you know, onto books and plays and, and all those types of things. And I think lists like this privilege the sort of lone genius model of creation. And when you have somebody like Lumet, who has received accolades, I think sometimes far too many, but sometimes justly, he's made a number of wonderful movies, such as uh, I mentioned Long Day's Journey, as well as 12 Angry Men. You're going to afford him more credit for features like this. And his ambition isn't bad. I, I really think this idea of this kind of moral ambiguity, it could have been interesting. A lot of it is, honestly, like Treat Williams is really, really rough in this movie. Um, you know, if, if for anybody who to study acting or, or been an actor at one point, typically what you're trying to do as an actor is pursue a goal. You're trying to go after something, right? So you're not thinking of your emotions or, or, or what have you, you're trying to get something. And what you see with his performances, there's a lot of demonstration of his emotional state as opposed to the pursuance of a goal. And it, it sort of sucks the entire picture down. Um, and he's also got this like weird, like nasally voice that, that seems, um, like unusually whiny, like he's a little kid spoiling around in the sandbox when he's supposed to be the, you know, the prince of the city. So I think those things bring it down. And I think critics give um, undue credit to Lumet. I mean, Roger Ebert, I don't know if you've read his review of this. He gave it this like really um, almost sycophantic praising review that I found utterly bizarre simply because of um, Lumet's ambition in terms of taking on drugs and the moral ambiguity. We said moral ambiguity 45 times on this podcast, but the moral ambiguity of this film. And it's odd to watch somebody praise an ambition and not a, uh, an actual product. Well, guys, I may not be the prince of the city, but it looks like I'm the winner of this episode. Uh, it was a fight to the end there, though, guys. <laughs> Oh God! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Nick is prince of talking pictures trivia. Yes, for a day. it all came down to day. math. It was math that won it for you. Carry the one. Is that the first time math has won anything for you, Nick? I just... <laughs> um, I don't want to get into it, but I I do use facts and figures a lot. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> oh, I'm I'm just teasing. <laughs> You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, 
Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Do you think it's good to be the prince? Why or why not? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Steve, for joining us today. Great to have you on. My pleasure to be here. Lots of fun. You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. Yes, and check out Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. I'm going to be doing one on an article on modernity to kind of sum up our, our season. Um, and I'm also looking into one on the Batman and the kind of uh, collapsing of camp and dark goth seriousness. And you can find me listening to Tom B-Side or on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time when we discuss a That Era movie with Tom's recommendation from 1966, Masculine Feminine. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Masculine Feminine. Tom, how was your watch? Great. I really like this movie. I like Godard a lot. And I probably watch this movie fewer times than, than other Godard films. And I wanted to bring this forward instead of something maybe a little more traditional or a little more familiar like Breathless or Weekend, just because I think it's very odd movie. Um, a lot of it I really like. I think it's really on theme for the type of things Godard likes to explore. And I think there's a lot in this movie I don't understand and would be interested in exploring. I also think it fits our block. So our block is that era or that time period. And we're looking at movies that sort of exemplify a time period. And I think one thing this movie does extremely well and extremely clearly is capture 1960s France, uh, especially that, that kind of youthful energy that was going on in 1960s France, which I, an extraordinary percentage of the population was like under 25 <laughs> it was like 50 percent of the french population at this time was under 25 so it was just this very youth-centered culture that goes on and what's wonderful about this movie it was it was filmed in 1965 it comes out in 66 but like that spirit of 68 that you know everybody's familiar with that went on in France. It's clearly here, so you can see kind of like this this almost like ar archaeological find of what's eventually going to bubble up in in 1968 with the with the protests in that year. Um, and on top of that, I just love watching um, uh, Leo uh, Jean Pierre Leo. I, I like just like looking at his face and, and seeing how he responds to things. Um, I think I get so much pleasure out of just watching that actor do things on screen. It, it's always a pleasure when he he pops up and things. Kevin, how was your watch? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really good. I, I ended up finding it on YouTube of all places. I'm sure that's uh, you know. Uh, a crime according to uh active cinema goers but or cinema files i suppose but uh i i enjoyed it all the same um i i did enjoy the experience of watching the movie um i'm not particularly familiar with this uh setting you know this this time and place um so i, I did 
try to read up on it a little bit. And um, Tom, just just like you mentioned, uh, I, I found it to be uh, after I knew what was going to happen after this movie was made. It it was sort of retroactively prescient, if that makes sense. Um, and I thought that part was was really cool. Um, again, I'm not not at all familiar with uh, mid '60s France, um, but it was an interesting sort of snapshot into a a, a culture and a, and a and a time that I was not familiar with. So I, I found it really um, interesting on that level. Certainly, some of the um, the the gender play in there, I thought was was like, oh, I guess that's what it was like to try to date somebody in 60s France. That's interesting. Um, but but yeah, all, all that was was cool. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it because uh, there's a lot I don't get. And that should make for some pretty interesting conversation. Uh, KJ, what do you think? Wait, wait, what happened in 68? What is I, I am coming at this completely blind. I, I watched this movie. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't realize we were on the eve of something. Tom, please let me know and anybody planning on watching this movie to have a hope. What happened in 68? Well, this movie was made before that. But in 1968, uh, you had a basically a student revolution. Um, uh, the like students riots. Need, you know, yeah. Protests, riots. Okay setting cars on fire um, at the, oh. it started in, in May in the University of Sorbonne and you had um, uh, students kind of rebelling against you know um, uh, low wage the Vietnam War was a big spark there and eventually different um, unions joined in and so you had something like a, a million okay 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 so protests. the audience my uh, recommendation is to treat this movie like another French movie that we watched although it wasn't a French movie uh, Marie Antoinette, treat this movie like that. It takes place in France, what? building up to something, <laughs> but you don't actually get to the thing it's building up to. Enjoy. How about you, Nick? I wasn't sure if I just wasn't giving this movie a fair shake or if it really wasn't grabbing me. And as I continued, I realized it was the latter. It just didn't call to me. I was waiting for it to end pretty much. And that's the story there. While preparing for this film, we had a text chain going. And I thought it was interesting that someone brought up Ingmar Berman's review of this film. A classic case of Godard, mind-numbingly boring. I approve this message. Masculine Feminine is available on HBO Max and Criterion at the time of this recording. Whenever KJ brings up Tony Danza, for some reason, I think of people who uh, misquote, I don't know if it was from a movie or my life, but the Elton John song where everyone just doesn't know the oh. words, hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. That was in a Friends episode and it became a conspiracy theory. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. See, I must I have heard never it from heard someone that. else because, or it's referenced in other things, but. Yeah, there's a Friends episode where Phoebe mentions that. Maybe that's where it started. Uh,